Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you, thanks for being here. Everybody who's joining online, thanks for being here as well. So here's what we're going to talk about this weekend. We're going to talk about the idea of surrender, surrender. And this is something that weaves its way through the entire Bible. And it begins this way. In the first two chapters of the Bible, we're given, it's a brief snapshot, but it's a snapshot on what human life was originally supposed to be like. And it's a life where Adam and Eve are surrendered to God and they trust him and they choose obedience. And it, it has these beautiful ramifications. There's harmony between Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve and God, Adam and Eve and the creation around them. But it, it only lasts two chapters. Because in chapter three, we're introduced to this thing that resides within human beings. And when I say human beings, I mean all of us, okay? It's you and it's me and it's everyone who has or will live. And it's this, there's this desire within us to be autonomous and independent of God, to not be surrendered, but instead to say, no, no, like I want to be in charge. I don't want to surrender to God. And the Bible describes it this way through this beautiful story that there's just one thing that's not allowed in all of the Garden of Eden. And it's to eat from a certain tree. And it's the tree, it's the knowledge of good and evil. And through a dialogue with an evil force known as the Satan, Eve, Eve hears this. Eve, if you chose independence, if you chose autonomy, if you took ethics out of God's hands and brought them into your hands, you could be your own God. And so Adam and Eve both make that choice to choose independence and autonomy from God rather than surrender. And then we could go through the whole Old Testament. And it's kind of this story of the back and forth of people saying, you know what, I I choose to surrender, but before long, they wander away and they decide, I want to live my own way. I want to decide what's right and wrong. I don't want to do things that are inconvenient for me. I would rather be independent and autonomous rather than surrendered to God. So it is a battle within human beings that has always existed and will exist in the future. So even take something like the Ten Commandments. And I know all of us have different levels of biblical familiarity, but the Ten Commandments, God looks at his people, all right? They're the, the Hebrew people. And he says, I'm gonna give you 10 things. Could be a list of thousands, but I'm gonna give you 10 things. The first few are gonna focus on what it means to be dependent upon God. And then the last half of the list is going to have to do with what it means to treat people well. And there's this tension, like the, the people originally go, yeah, we'll do that. We wanna live your way. We wanna be uh, surrendered and dependent, but then they just wander, right? No, no, we wanna create up our own rules 
for what it means to be a spiritual person. We want to create our own rules for how we treat other people because some of your rules, God, are inconvenient. And so God has these prophets in the Old Testament. And the prophets are constantly calling the people back. Come back to a relation of surrender. Come back to dependence on God instead of wandering into your own world. And so this battle continues, this battle continues in my life. And here's where it really gets complicated and tricky. So let's bring this whole battle into the present day. Here's what we tend to do in North America. I think we do this more than other parts of the world where I've been, is uh, think of your life as a big pie, okay? And what we tend to do is we segment or compartmentalize our lives. So this slice of the pie, this might be, hey, this is my family life. And this slice of the pie is my vocational life. And this slice of the pie is my fin- financial life. And this slice, this is, my, this is my hobby. This is my recreation slice. And this slice of the pie is my past and how I deal with that. And this slice of the pie is my future and my expectations and hope. And then here's what we do. And this slice of the pie, this is my spiritual life. And we surrender this aspect of our lives, our spiritual life. But then there are all these others. This is my ethical slice. And it has to do with everything from how I'm going to treat the people around me to my sexuality. And if we're not careful, here's what we do. We take an aspect of our life and surrender it to God. And then we typically have this ongoing struggle of choosing autonomy and independence in the other areas of our life. And if I understand the teachings of Jesus correctly, he doesn't just want a slice of the pie. Really, this is really bad news. Jesus wants the whole pie. He wants us to be surrendered in the entirety of our lives, all of it. And for each one of us, we'd be different according to how we were raised and some of our values. Some of those slices of the pie, it's like, okay, God, easy. I can surrender that to you. But there are other slices of the pie where we think, um, no, I don't think so, God. Like this is, this is my slice. This is my vacation time. This is my expectations for the future. And I, 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 want, I want to be Lord over that section of my life. And so it is an ongoing struggle. And then here's what I find in my life. I work towards surrendering all of my life. And um, let me use an example. Okay, maybe my financial life, right? I know deep inside there's something in me that is greedy. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I make Lord, Jesus Lord of my financial life. And I'm doing really well at it. And then uh, like in our instance, we had three kids in college at one time. And where I did have faith and I had surrendered to the Lord, I'm like, actually, Lord, I could use that back right now. Like, can I take that? I'll give it back to you in a few years when everybody graduates. And so there are these areas of our lives where they're surrendered and then we take them back and then we have to go back through the process of surrender. But the goal, the hope is that Jesus says, would you bring me the whole pie? Would you bring the entirety of your life And would you surrender it to me? Would you choose a path of surrender and dependence rather than the pathway of autonomy and independence? So there is a passage of scripture which for years has just stood out to me as 
maybe one of our best examples of what this process of surrendering our lives looks like. It's from Luke chapter five. I'm gonna read that in just a moment. But I kinda wanna set up the whole experience because some some really unique things are going on. Um, In Israel, there are two main bodies of water. Jordan River runs north to south. Uh, Jordan River comes out of a spring, it's very clean. A lot of it comes from Mount Hebron and it runs into the Lake of Galilee. And the Lake of Galilee is a very verdant place and it is a place that has always been for thousands of years, very important for the Jewish people because it's a freshwater lake, there's lots of fish. And then the Jordan River runs out and into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has no exit. So it is uh, saline, nothing really lives there. No fish can survive there. And the Sea of Galilee has been, uh, it's been important for food. It's been a place where people have come. But, but here's something that's unique about the region of Galilee. One day I hope you get to go there. It, it gets incredibly hot during the daytime in certain seasons of the year. So hot that I've been there multiple times and you will never, you will never see anyone fishing the Sea of Galilee during the daytime. Dawn and dusk, but almost all fishing goes on at night. And even today, 2000 years after Luke 5, If you got up early in the morning, you would see these little boats, little wooden boats, they still use them, and nets, and they're hand-thrown nets, they throw them out, they scoop up fish and bring them in. But because of the climate, because the sun's so bright, all the fish drop to depths where they're unfishable during the day. So nobody, even today, nobody fishes during the daytime because the fish are too deep to access. And Jesus is going to show up to the Sea of Galilee It's also got several names, like Gennesaret. That was how the Greeks called it. And Jesus is going to interact with a man named Simon, who will later become Peter. And it's this beautiful picture of what it means to surrender to God. All right, let's read together. Luke chapter five. We're gonna have three fishermen, Simon, James, and John, their entire industry and this experience they have with Jesus. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So Jesus is three or four months into his public ministry. He's, he's been a guy that lived in his hometown, was a technon. He was a laborer. He was not a traditional rabbi. He didn't go to the schools that everybody else went. But he begins to teach and people are so astounded. They're astounded at the way he talks about God. They're astounded that when he talks, he has the capacity to overcome spiritual forces that have been tormenting human beings. When he talks about God, he also brings action that people whose lives have been deteriorated just by sickness and disease can actually find restoration. So they're crowding in. And by the way, the Lake of Galilee, almost all the way around, it looks like an amphitheater. All the hillsides slope down. So Jesus is pressed up against the water. The crowd is building. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats. I love this because do you notice he doesn't ask permission? Um, I have a drift boat. Okay, this is how I access the rivers in Montana. And I just can't imagine, I drop my boat in the water, I go park my truck and I come back and there's just somebody standing in my boat, I don't know. They're like, what, what are you doing? Why are you in my boat? Jesus sees one of the boats, 
He climbs into it, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. So Jesus, he's got to speak to a crowd, probably of thousands, maybe more. And he just knows that if I can push back, I can use the water. The water will project my voice and the people gathered there can hear me well. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. He's got this like a bold statement. Simon answered, master. It's fascinating how he addresses him. This would be, it'd be very similar in English if you were calling somebody sir. So it's a sign of respect, okay? Um, But it's fairly impersonal. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So you know what you call this in modern day fishing vernacular? Skunked, you got it right there. And there is, listen, if you're a fisherman, fisherwoman, there is nothing worse than getting skunked. And they have worked all night, but this is not recreational fishing. This is his vocation. And when you fish all night long and you have been trained, this is how you provide for your family. Peter's saying this, listen, we, they're already cleaning the nets, by the way which was about an hour and a half long process. You had to get all of the debris off, rinse them, dry them. They're made out of natural fibers. And Jesus says, hey, let's go fishing. So the carpenter says to the fisherman, hey, let's go fishing. I love this phrase. Simon has reasons why this is a bad idea and inconvenient. But because you say so, You say go fishing. I know this is a terrible time for fishing. I know that I've already put away all my tackle. I know that I've I've been up all night long. And I know there aren't any fish out there. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. It's called too much of a good thing, right? It's like, oh no. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. He uses a different word here. He uses kurios. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You will fish for people. So how is this a portrait of surrender? First, I have a question that I think this text it just begs us to ask this question. Is my life interruptible? 
If I wanna understand what it means to surrender to God, this is the first thing I have to deal with. Is my life interruptible? This is Peter washing his nets, a long, futile night of fishing, wondering, like, am I going to have enough to feed the family? How am I going to pay for things? Is, is the fishing industry falling apart before me? And he sees this guy named Jesus, who he probably knows very little about, step up onto his boat. And he has to decide at that moment, am I open to interruption? Because I'm on the tail end of a long night. I want to go home. Peter had every right to look at Jesus and go, hey, 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 off the boat. That's mine. It's mine. And here's the challenge with life. Remember, go back to the pie, how we segment it up. Here's what we do instinctually. Okay, this is God's, but this is mine. These are mine. This is my perspective of the future. These are my hopes and dreams. This is how I'll deal with my past. It's my control. It's my finances. It's all of it. It's mine. And this is that word that no one ever taught their toddler to say. But every toddler says it, right? Everybody. You work with them to say daddy, mama, dog. But they learn mine. Because it's deep within. And so Simon has to decide, am I willing to allow, this is my professional life. This is how I make a living. Am I willing to go, this is mine, but I'll be interrupted by you. I'll actually push out. I'll get back in the boat. I'll move it back. I will allow you to have a platform in my life. I'll interrupt my daily routine to say, Jesus, yeah, you can have my boat. You can use my boat. So for Simon, it's a boat. But for each of us, is it my vacation time or is it his? Is it my hope and dream for the future or is it his hopes and dreams for the future? Is it, these are my ethics. These are my business principles. This is how I do it. Or is it, God, I'll let you interrupt they're your principles. You teach me how to treat people. You teach me what's important in life. Am I interruptible? Because that is the first step to learning how to surrender to Jesus. Am I willing to let Jesus access the parts of my life that I typically say, hey, this isn't even spiritual. This is just my vocation. And Jesus says, can I climb on board your vocation? Lord, like there's a way that we do business in North America in 2022. Jesus says, I know. Would you let me interrupt it? Will I let Jesus interrupt my life? When he says, can I use your boat? Can I use your future? Can I use your past? Can I use your value system? Will I let him interrupt me? Here's the second question in this process of surrender. Will I surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord? Savior and Lord. Here's why I use these two phrases. Savior and Lord. Let's focus first on Savior. Now, this is essential. This is important. I'm not trying to denigrate this whatsoever. But what we typically do when we talk about who Jesus is and what he came to do is we focus, especially in the North American church, mainly on this word, that Jesus came to be my savior, which is vitally important. 
It's his life. He lives the life that we cannot live. He dies in our place. He's resurrected. Why? To deal with my eternity. And so we talk to people about letting Jesus be your savior. So you're not responsible for paying for your own sin. Jesus took it on himself. He absorbed it all on the cross. That is the beautiful reality of Jesus being savior. Jesus doesn't just want to be savior. He wants to be Lord. And this is more challenging because him being my savior is incredibly beneficial to me right? Because it takes care of eternity. It takes care of my shame. It takes care of all the things that I've never been able to deal with. Jesus is savior. When he becomes Lord though, that is much more inconvenient for me. It's not nearly as beneficial. It becomes challenging. And I have plenty of excuses why Jesus shouldn't be Lord of this area of my life. I bring up the objections. Well, Jesus, don't you know, like those teachings in the Bible are so archaic. They were written so many thousands of years ago. Like people think I'm a ridiculous if I actually live that way. So Jesus, you want me to forgive my enemies? Come on, people will take advantage of me. You want me to speak words of life rather than words that tear people down? You, you wanna be Lord over the words that I speak? You want to be Lord over how I deal with my business and my, my financial life and like my recreation? Lord, do you, cause I kind of like that stuff and I like to be in charge of it. And you ask me through the scriptures to do things that are really, really inconvenient. Sometimes they're very oppositional to what culture seems to appreciate and applaud. You want to be Lord? Because when he's Lord, Things change. Here's, here's where Jesus begins to become Lord for Simon. Let me use your boat. Let me interrupt. And he teaches from his boat. And then he says, Simon, let's go back out on the lake in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. It's a time of day where no one fishes in a time where there don't seem to be any fish available. And what is Simon Peter's final statement? Jesus, this is a terrible idea. And it's very inconvenient for me. But nevertheless, because you say so, we'll do it. Here's how Jesus becomes Lord. It's incremental steps of obedience. He can be my savior and that costs me very little. But if he is going to be Lord, here's what it takes. It takes me being in these situations where that is not what I wanna do, Jesus. <laughs> I don't wanna surrender that. I, I don't wanna obey that text. I don't like that one. And it's when I say, Lord, I don't wanna do this, but nevertheless, because you say so, I will do something I do not want to do. And you know what happens? Jesus becomes Lord in that area. And it's this lifetime of, I don't want to do that one either. I don't want to forgive. I, I don't want to be that type of person. I don't want to be labeled that way. But nevertheless, because you say so, I am going to do it. And it's step by step through the process of obedience. Nevertheless, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand it. 
But because you say so, I'm going to do it. And it might cost me something, but in the process of doing it, he becomes both savior and Lord. And here's the challenge. It is really easy to become stuck here that Jesus is my savior, but Jesus doesn't just want your eternity. He wants my future. He wants my past. He wants the all of me. Remember, Jesus wants the whole pie. And it's only through sacrificial obedience that Jesus becomes Lord of our lives. Here's the third thing that happens in this process of surrender. Realization, realization. So a couple things happen. Peter chooses to obey, obedience leads to lordship. The net is full, more fish than he's ever seen before. Bring in the other boats. Fish are gonna sink us. Here's Peter whose life has been focused on fishing. And what does he do? He doesn't pay attention to the fish. So that he fell in the boat. He's still there. This is happening. He obeyed. Jesus did something extraordinary. So that he fell at Jesus' knees. This is probably, uh, here's the picture. It's this hugging of Jesus' knees, this moment of humility. And he realizes two things. And these two things are essential for Jesus to be Lord in our lives. First, he realizes that Jesus is not just another rabbi because he changes his language from master to Lord. He says, Lord, he makes a declaration. Lord is a, it's, it's a word that denotes surrender and humility that you are above me. In Peter's mind, like this isn't just some fantastic new rabbi who's teaching. He realizes this is the magnificent God of the universe who controls the fish in the Sea of Galilee, who controls the clouds, who is the creator. And so he says, Lord, Lord. And here's the second point of realization. He says, go away from me because I am a sinful man. For Jesus to be Lord, I have to have this perspective of myself. And this is tough because, especially for all you guys who are like millennials, you were like, you were just taught that you're so special, right? (laughs) You wanted everything. There were no more prizes for first, second, and third. You're just a finisher, woo, right? But in order for Jesus to be Lord, I have to realize what Peter realized. I am a sinful man. I am broken. I am not okay. I am not doing a good job of being Lord of my own life. I've segmented up my life and I give God just a little slice and that is not okay. So he's deeply aware of his personal failure. He's like, I can't even be with you, God. Jesus, you're overwhelming me. I'm a sinful man. What does Jesus say to people who are humble? People who are afraid. Afraid of, oh God, what if, I, what if I give you that aspect of my life? What if I give you my dreams and hopes for the future? What if I give you my past and the pain that's there and I just try to ignore it and live with it? What if I give you my financial life because that's terrifying, God? Jesus looks at people who are afraid, just like he looked at Simon. And he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to make me Lord. You can trust me. You don't have to be afraid of your shame. You don't have to be afraid of God. If I really surrender, 
Will I be okay in the future? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Because fear is one of the primary things that keeps us from surrendering to Jesus as Lord. I have to give up control. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me. I will not, I will not highlight your shame and your mistakes. I will take care of you. You can trust me with your life. And, and for Simon Peter, there's this beautiful moment of realizing his failure and embracing the majesty of Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid of me. You can give it all. Hand me the whole pie. And there's this final aspect. I'm gonna use this word. For Peter, when he surrenders, there's, a, there's an entirely new orientation. There's a reorientation of his life. So he calls Jesus Lord and Jesus looks at him, says, don't be afraid. But Peter, you have to know this, that when I'm Lord, your life will never be the same. And so he looks at Peter and he says, from now on, you'll catch people, not fish. So what do they do? They pulled up their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. When Jesus becomes Lord of my life, I just have to warn you, like everything's gonna change. Some of the things that I held on to that made me feel so secure, he's Lord. So we have in this split second, Peter, who's a fisherman, becoming a disciple. His whole life is reversed. He walks away from all of the potential and he follows Jesus where? He has no idea. He's known Jesus for what, half hour, hour by this point? And he just follows Jesus. He leaves behind his boats. This is his industry. He leaves behind his identity. I guarantee you this, if you lived in Galilee 2000 years ago, you would have been a fisherman generations going back, easily six, seven generations. That Peter was raised, probably by the time he's seven years old, he's on a boat learning from his father. And his grandfather, great-grandfather, you could follow it back generations. Galilee was a very simple place. And this was all he knew. This is how you make a living. How does a guy say, one experience, the best fishing day of his life. And he says, listen, if Jesus is Lord, I'm walking away from all of that to follow you, to reorient my life. And Jesus says, listen, you've, you've become an expert on how to catch fish. I am going to invite you into my mission. And what's the mission of Jesus? Mark 10, 45, to seek and save the lost. And he says, here's what I'm inviting you into. If I'm Lord, you're gonna follow me. And you're gonna join me on the mission of I came to gather up human beings who are wandering and far from their creator. And I brought them close to me. And this is now your mission, Peter. So... When Jesus becomes Lord, it impacts every area of my life. My vocation is never the same. Jesus may not ask you to you know, leave behind your truck and follow Jesus, but I guarantee this. He's gonna say, your number one priority in life is no longer to work hard enough to have a comfortable retirement. 
Your number one priority in life isn't just to find happiness. The reorientation is the top priority of your life is to join Jesus on his mission of embracing and loving this world, of declaring what truth really is. It leaks into every aspect of our lives. When Jesus is Lord, my values are reoriented. I have a new vision. I have a new identity. Do you know this identity thing? It's not gonna be too much longer where Jesus is gonna look at Simon. Simon, um, the original language, it means a reed. So something that's easily flexible when the wind blows, it moves. And it was actually a bit of a derogatory name. And Jesus looks at Simon and he says, now that I'm Lord, I'm giving you a new name. This is why it says Simon Peter. He says, here's your new name, Petros, which means a rock. Your identity changes. What if, what if, what if Peter would have reacted this way? Because I think this is the way that I naturally am inclined to react. That my life is interruptible, I obey Jesus, I go out and it is the finest day of my life. This is a financial boon. What if Peter would have stood in his boat and like there's fish flopping everywhere and he thinks this, it's really good having Jesus on your boat. Like this is a huge benefit to me. And so what if, what if from today's the sale of the fish, I'll buy a new boat. And then every day I'll say, hey, Jesus, would you just step on my boat, point me the direction to go, and I am going to build an empire. And Jesus is going to make me more wealthy and more powerful. And Peter's like envisioning, and I'm going to get a condo in Jerusalem, and I'll have like captains running them all. I'm going to get a brand new camel to ride, leather seats. It's going to be incredible. Here's the challenge. Oftentimes we ask Jesus to follow us. Lord, here's my dream. Here's my agenda. Here's what I want from the future. And would you just, Jesus, would you follow me? Would you please bless it? I want you to make it better. That is not Jesus being Lord. Here's what Jesus being Lord is. Jesus, the most extraordinary thing just happened in my life. And rather than asking you to follow me, I'm choosing to follow you. I don't always know where that's going to lead. I don't know how inconvenient it will be, but I'm stepping away from the only vocation I've ever known. I'm stepping away from the only things I know of that make me actually secure. Because you're Lord and I am not. And my job is not to try to get you to follow me and manipulate you, me, you into more blessing. My job is to follow you and to surrender. And if you ever leave me back to fishing, so be it. By the way, you know the next time Simon goes fishing? It's three years later. Jesus has just been crucified. And the disciples are despondent. They left everything to follow Jesus. And it's the first time we read that Simon Peter goes back to fishing. And guess what? It's another terrible night of fishing. <laughs> And here's a voice from the shore, the same lake, likely the same spot. Hey! And it's Jesus, resurrected. And Peter never goes back to fishing. His life is so reoriented that he helps build and establish and he becomes an essential leader in the early church and he spends his life. You really wanna get scared? We don't know for certain, but church tradition says that towards the end of his life, he was arrested. 
And he was sentenced by the Roman government to execution. And he says this, don't hang me on a cross. I'm not worthy of it. Jesus died on a cross. I don't want to die. So he requests to be hung upside down on a cross. And he dies that way. He follows Jesus. And I bet he never had a regret. I bet there was never a moment, even when he's hanging on that cross, where he thinks, I should have stayed with the boats. Because Jesus was Lord. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.